Hey, welcome to Grace Church. We're really glad that you're here. Beautiful Saturday evening, and you have come in here, and we are grateful for that. We hope that uh, you make yourself at home and be who you are. If you're visiting, a very special welcome to you. Um, if you have any questions about anything, there should be a bunch of people with a little lanyards hanging around their neck. They would love to answer any questions that you got. Um, if you wouldn't mind, I have a few things I want to talk about before we jump into sermon stuff. So when you came in, you should have got a little uh, program. In your program first, I'll be quick with this, but I want to say this every week. This is a great way, you have a little connection card in here. It's a great way to communicate with us. So if you have any questions about anything, uh, you can just mark it on here. If you have some things that you'd like us to be praying about, uh, you can mark it on here as well, and then just fold it up and you can drop it in the basket that we pass around after the sermon. If you're visiting, it would be awesome to let us know that you're here and you just fill this out and then it would let us know that you're here. And we'll even give you a little free gift if you do that. So um, that's the connection card. In your program, there's a couple things I want to highlight. First of all, the backpack thing. So I am super excited about this, guys. Uh, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. We've been collecting backpacks where our goal was 100 backpacks for this school. There's a lot of kids here that uh, families that struggle with providing for their school supplies. They have to do all of it themselves. And so we said, what if we committed to do 100 backpacks for students in need here that we could give to them? And that's a big, lofty goal for us, right? And I am so happy to announce that as of tonight, we're, we've got them all. Like, everybody's taken the cards for them. Let me, let me clarify. Everybody's taken the cards for them, right? But we haven't gotten them all back yet. But we're well on our way there. So um, next Next week is the last week that we're going to collect these. It's like drop dead time, okay? So you got, if you took one of those little cards, one of those little tags, saying you're going to do a backpack, you got to bring a backpack back, backpack back by next Saturday, because then right after that, we're going to distribute them to the kids. So thank you guys so very much for your generosity, and please pray that God uses these backpacks as a way to, to show the families that we're giving them to that the, the church loves them and that Jesus loves them and maybe God will open up opportunities for us to talk to them about that. So thank you guys so much for doing that. Next thing I want to tell you about, it's not in your program, but it came to our attention this past week that there is a family that goes to school here whose house burnt down uh, just recently and they lost about everything and so the assistant principal was looking, was asking for some help. The school has done some things to help provide for this family and we said well maybe we could help too. They were looking for specifically toys and clothes for this family. So they have two students here, a first grade boy who wears a size 6T and then a third grade girl who wears a 14 to 16. And so I wanted to throw that out to you guys knowing that we've asked for a lot already, okay? So if you're tapped out, that's totally cool. Don't feel bad about that. But if you would like to help this family and you have the means to do that, next Saturday, we're just doing this for one week, next Saturday, we're we're going to take whatever you give us and we're going to give it to them. So I asked like what do they need? Clothes, toys, and they also mentioned gift card. Like if you don't have any of that stuff and you want to just get a gift card from Target or Walmart then that would be very helpful to them as well. And I think it's safe to say that, you know, if you have it doesn't all have to be new stuff, right? Like if you have like I have a, a third grade son so we have some old clothes that we, we can give to them that are in good shape. It's like as long as they're in good shape then I think it's, uh, it's good to give that as well. So if you are able to do that, that would be awesome. If not, I don't want you to feel bad about that. We've asked for a lot. The last thing that I want to tell you about in your program is communion services. So this coming week, this coming Saturday, a week from tonight, our service
services are going to be communion services. So this is the first time that we've done this as a campus, and I'm really excited about this. If you've never been a part of communion services here at Grace Church, you should come. You, you need to come. It's a big deal. It's probably a big deal everywhere, right? But we wrap our entire services around communion, and we do communion a little bit different. Grace Brethren does communion a little bit different. We do something called threefold communion. So we do the bread and the cup like most other places do, but then we also share a small meal together. It's really more like hors d'oeuvres, and then it's called the love feast, and then we wash feet. We do foot washing as well, and when I say that, um, I always see eyes go, ooh, what? You wash each other's feet? That's disgusting. Have you seen my feet? Right? Listen, we won't make you do it, do it if you don't want to do it. Like it, It's totally cool to come and just observe, okay? So our goal is not to make anybody feel uncomfortable, so if you feel most comfortable just observing, that's totally fine. We won't make that awkward for you at all, but I really encourage you to come and be a part of it. It's a great night to just focus on Jesus. He is the center of everything. So with the bread and the cup, we look back at the past ministry of Jesus. He died on the cross for us so that we could be forgiven. With foot washing, we look at the present ministry of Jesus. As you and I follow Jesus in this life, we get our feet a little bit dirty, right? We sin, and so he cleanses us from those sins. And then we look at the future ministry of Jesus. One day, Jesus is coming back, and we're going to feast with him in paradise, right? The marriage supper of the Lamb talks about it in Revelation 19. And so there's this looking forward to the one day, right? So I really encourage you to come be a part of it. If you've never come, I think it'll be a really, really powerful night. The room's going to be set up a little bit different, so don't freak out or anything like that. Um, But it'll be a powerful night together. So that's coming up next Saturday. Tonight, we continue our series called Things I I Wish Jesus Never Said. And what we've been doing in this series, we're going to wrap it up tonight, actually. What we've been doing is looking at Jesus' most famous sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5 through 7. And we've been looking at some particularly challenging things that Jesus has talked about in that sermon. We said the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, is basically Jesus' own description of his followers. So what should you and I be like? Well, here you go. In Jesus' own words in these three chapters. And so we've been challenging you throughout this series. We've said, why don't we read through, why don't we commit as a body, as a church, to read through the entire Sermon on the Mount at least once each week during this series. And so we're at the end of the series. I want to lay down the challenge one more time, okay? Some of you I know have done this and it's been powerful for you. Some of you probably haven't. I want to encourage you this week. It's three chapters. Probably takes 10, 15 minutes tops to read through it. But read through it and just, and and talk to God as you do it. And allow him to challenge your heart. Allow him to challenge you with the things that he wants to challenge you with as you dig into it, okay? So one more week, I lay down that challenge to you. But tonight we wrap up this series, and we're going to do it by digging into chapter 7. But I want to start off tonight with a question, an uncomfortable question. Ready? What do you think about this? You ever been rejected? You ever been rejected by somebody? That's a terrible feeling, isn't it? Like, none of us likes to be rejected. Maybe for you, it was rejected by, you know, a potential boyfriend or girlfriend. I've been there. Maybe... (laughs) It's hard to believe, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe for you, you've been rejected by a potential employer. You know, you put a job application somewhere and they said, no, we, we don't need you. Maybe for you, you've been rejected by a family member. I think that one can be particularly painful. Somebody that's your own flesh and blood that you love and they say, nope, nope. Maybe for you, you've been rejected by the church. 
and somebody goes to a different campus, a friend who, when her husband divorced her, the church abandoned her. Said, no, you're not welcome here anymore. If, if any of you have experienced that in the church, on behalf of the church, may I apologize to you. Rejection's terrible, right? Like, none of, us, none of us likes to be rejected. Let me ask you this. You ever worry about being rejected by God? Like, do you ever have a time in your life where you worried about being rejected by God? Like, like, maybe, you know, you messed up too much. Maybe you didn't follow him closely enough. Maybe what you believed about him was wrong. Like, you've been told lies that you believed. I had a time in my life when I really feared this. And, you know, like, maybe in the end, when I'm standing before God at judgment, he's going to, like, pull the rug out from under me. Even though I tried my best, which really, does anybody really try their best? I don't know. But even though I tried my best, and I tried to follow him, like, maybe in the end, he's going to pull the rug out from under me, and he's going to reject me, and he's going to banish me from his presence. I really feared this for a while in my life. And it was early on because I didn't know much about Jesus. I didn't really know much about who God was, and so I feared the worst. But Jesus would never do that, right? Like, Jesus would never reject anybody, right? Well, listen to this passage. You don't, don't flip there. I want you to just listen. We're not even going to put it on the screen. I want you to just listen to this. This passage from Matthew chapter 7, so toward the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is something that Jesus said that for a long time I wished he never said. Matthew 7 Starting in verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, that day, when you read that day in the Bible, it's talking about judgment day, okay? Many will say to me on that day, on judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Whoa. Jesus said that? Like, I, I thought Jesus was all about love and acceptance and grace. Like, I can't believe Jesus would say something like that. Jesus rejects people? Guys, l- listen, whether you feel it or not, or whether you, maybe you don't even care... I have a responsibility to the Lord for you. Like, I have a responsibility to God for each of you as your pastor. And it's not, you know, a responsibility to rule your life. It's not a responsibility to make your decisions. It's not a responsibility to feed you or, or put a roof over your head. That's not my responsibility. But my responsibility to God is that you hear the truth, right? So that you can make an informed decision about Jesus in your life. Each of us has a responsibility to decide what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about what Jesus said about himself. And we each have a decision. If we want to follow that, if we want to know him, follow him and love him. God gives us freedom in that, right? God gives us responsibility in that to make a decision. We're free. I'm not responsible for your decision. You're not responsible for my decision, but you're responsible for your decision. My part is to make sure that you hear truth, 
My part is to make sure that you hear the truth of God. My part's, you know, not to manipulate you. My part's not to stir up your emotions so that you make a quick decision, a snap decision. My, my part's not to persuade you or to pressure you to do anything. Like, you're safe here. You're safe to decide for yourself. But guys, listen, make no mistake. We believe here that what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. What you and I believe about Jesus Christ is the most important thing about us. And it's not just one, you know, some one-time deal that then you know, we make this decision and then we go on with life as normal. It's a decision that changes every other aspect of our lives for the better. Not always easier, but for the better. And so tonight, tonight's really, really important, okay? Because we have to come to God on his terms, right? Like a lot of times we want, to, we want to come to God, well, this is how I think it should happen, right? This is how I want to approach God. That's not how it works. We have to come to God on his terms, not our terms. According to his ways, not our ways. According to his plan, not our plan. And I hope that tonight will bring a whole lot of clarity. Tonight is, I'll just tell you right up front, tonight is very much the gospel. This is the good news about Jesus. And it's all about knowing him. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And so I beg you to listen tonight. And not just listen to me, although that would be nice too. But to listen to God. Because I don't think God has any of us here by mistake. And I think that God has something for us to walk away with tonight that can change us forever. Whether we know him already or whether we don't know him already. So I beg you tonight to just tune in and listen to the Spirit as he speaks to us. I'll do my best to try not to screw that up, okay? So if you got your Bibles, flip it open to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have a whole table full of them back there. If you raise your hand, Steve would be happy to give you a Bible. Uh, it's page 788 in the church Bible. So we're at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to recap the whole thing. Again, let me say it one more time. Please read it, okay? Please read it this week. You'll be amazed. Powerful, challenging. But here at the end, Jesus gives us some warnings, okay? Four of them. So he's been describing what his followers should look like, how they should think and act and feel. And here at the end, he gives us some warnings. And each of these warnings has a pair of choices embedded in them of which way we could go. Each of them does in different ways, okay? So the first one, uh, we already talked about, and we're going to come back to it, but we read about the two different groups that call out to Jesus, Lord, Lord, and some do God's will, and they'll enter the kingdom of heaven, and some don't. This is where we're going to camp out tonight, so I'm going to go over that one really quickly, and then we're going to come back to it later. That's two claims. That's verses 21 to 23. We have two claims, Lord, Lord. Some follow God's will and are going to go to heaven. Some don't, okay? That's the first one. But before that, in verses 13 to 14, Jesus talks about two different ways that we could go. Maybe you've heard this before. He says, listen, there's two ways that you can go. You can travel through the wide gate, which leads to the broad road that most people go down, but it leads to destruction. There's plenty of room on this road. There's lots of crowds on this road, right? Not a lot of rules on this road. You can kind of do and think whatever that, you, know, you want to do and think, but it leads to destruction. And he says, choose the narrow gate. The narrow gate leads to a narrow road that most people don't choose. And it may feel lonely at times. It may be hard at times. People on the wide road, they might make fun of you at times for taking the hard way, for taking the challenging way. But take heart because this is the way that leads to life. There's a great reward for us at the end of this road, at the end of the narrow road. Go this way. That's the two ways. Okay, so we got two claims. We got two ways. 
And then after that, he talks about two trees. And he's talking about false prophets, false teachers. He says, watch out for false prophets. Watch out for false teachers. They come to you looking as innocent as sheep, but really on the inside, they're ferocious wolves. And he says, they're like trees. They're like fruit trees. They're like trees that are bearing fruit. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. Good trees can't bear bad fruit. Bad trees can't bear good fruit. And he says, you'll recognize people by their fruit. You'll recognize these leaders, these false prophets, by their fruit. And he's saying, look at their lives. Look, look at the fruit of their lives. Beware of them if the fruit looks rotten. If the fruit looks rotten, they're a bad tree. They're a wolf. Stay away from them. They're going to get what they deserve one day. And guys, can I just say that this happens all the time today too, right? There's all kinds of false prophets, all kinds of false teachers all around us today. I would beg you, don't, because I'm standing up here on this little stage, don't just accept whatever, everything that I say. Com compare it to this, right? And compare my life with what I say. We don't just accept what somebody says, no matter how big the stage that they're on, the pulpit that they're on, no matter how big the church that they're on. There's all kinds of false prophets around today. So this holds true today. So two trees, right? Look at their fruit. Their fruit will tell you what kind of tree they are. Then the last one's builders. He says there's two builders. It's verses 24 to 27. Jesus says, you can build your house on a solid rock, or you could build your house on sinking sand. You can build it on sand, and when rain and wind comes, it's going to wash that house away, and that house is going to be done. You build it on the rock, nothing's going to wash it away. Wind, rain, torrents, flood, doesn't matter. It's built on a rock. Nothing's going to bring that house down. And he says, anyone who hears these words of mine, so this is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like one who builds their house on a rock. Nothing's going to be able to ruin your life. It's built on a solid foundation. These are the warnings that Jesus gives at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. What do they all have in common? Well, what they have in common is they all boil down to a choice. Which way am I going to go? Right? Am I going to follow God and his plan for me? I think of it like a circle. Right? I'm right here. I could follow God and his plan for me or I could go any other way. And the truth is any other way doesn't make, a, doesn't make a difference what way you're going. If it's not chasing after God, if it's not following God, it doesn't matter. Right? It's not good for us. So there's one choice. Pursue God and his son or go any other way that you want to go. And guys, it's no different today. Do we pursue God on his terms? Do we pursue God through his ways? Are we pursuing God according to his plan or are we going in some other direction? God gives us a lot of freedom. God gives us the choice. So these are the warnings, okay, that this is all embedded in, that this passage that we're going to dig into is embedded in. And I want to spend the rest of our time looking at these two claims, Matthew 20, uh, 7, 21 to 27. I want to look at it again. We're going to throw it up on the screen this time. Again, this is what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Like, this is heavy, right? Like, these are words that you never want to hear Jesus say. 
And so I want to make sure there's some things here that I want to pull out of this that are really, really important for us as we think, what does this mean for us in our lives so that we are not people who Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The first thing I want to bring out here, notice Jesus' authority in this passage. This is, don't miss this, because it's huge. Jesus wasn't just a really wise teacher, right? Some people would say that. Jesus is a really good teacher. There's a lot of wisdom in this. Jesus wasn't just a really wise teacher. He says that not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Him. He determines who's in. He determines who's out. Whether you're in your own life ready to accept this or not, just know that in Jesus' mind, he's the judge. Right? In his mind, he's the judge. Some people look at this and say it's, it's wise teaching. Well, hold on. Jesus is claiming to be the one who decides where we go on judgment day. Right? He claims authority. In John chapter 5, Jesus tells us that the authority that was given to him is given to him by the Father. Jesus is the linchpin. Right? Jesus, it's all about over and over and over again in the Bible. It's clear. This is just one example. It's all about what we do with Jesus. He's the judge. Jesus Jesus is the one who will decide one day who's in and who's out. That's the first thing. Jesus' authority. Second thing is these this two words, Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord. Like, what's, he, what's, what's that have to do? What's he talking about there? Well, calling Jesus Lord, kyrios in the Greek, means you're calling him your master. What it means, it's he to whom you belong. So here's how I understand, here's how I would say it today. If I was going to use this, the same words, what Jesus, the same point that Jesus is making, I'd say it this way. Everyone, not everyone who says to me, I'm a Christian, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Lord, Lord is very similar to saying, I'm a Christian. Jesus is my Lord. He's my master. I'm a Christian. Not everyone who says to me, yeah, I'm a Christian, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is really important for us to get, guys. Because calling ourselves a Christian doesn't make us a Christian. Right? Calling ourselves a Christian doesn't make us a Christian. Growing up in a Christian home doesn't make us a Christian. Doing a lot of Christianly things doesn't make us a Christian. Going to church, glad that you're here, but it doesn't make us a Christian any more than going into your garage makes you a car, right? To be a Christian, I got to do it according to God's terms, right? Through his ways and according to his plan. So Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, I'm a Christian, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Well, that begs the question to me, what's the will of my Father who's in heaven, right? Well, this one's kind of simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. What's the will of the Father in heaven in my life? Well, that I live the way that Jesus describes here in the Sermon on the Mount. Like, like, that's it. We said the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' own description of his followers. God's will for us is that people that follow his son, that follow Jesus, live the way that he intended. Doing all of the things in the Sermon on the Mount. So that's really easy, right? It's really easy to live this way. It's really easy to follow these things. So is that it? Is that all it takes for us to enter the kingdom of heaven? Live the way that Jesus describes in Matthew 5-7. through 7. Listen, guys. 
if that's the case, I'm in trouble. <laughs> right? Like, if that's it, if that's the Father's will for me, if that's how I get into the kingdom of heaven, living this way, then I'm in trouble. God's will for us is that we follow his son. Doing all of these things in the Sermon on the Mount. Are we all doomed? Right? Like, is, is, this, is this our lot in life? Well, listen, there's a whole other aspect to the Father's will for us. There's a whole other aspect to what it means for us to live according to Father's will, which we're going to get to in a second. Okay? So hold on to that. Part of it is living the way that Jesus calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount. There's another part we're going to get to in just a second. Look back at the text at what Jesus says next. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Guys, do you see, like, do you see what's happening here? Only people who follow the Father's will will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, Jesus, Lord, I mean, look at, look at the things that I did. I prophesied in your name. I drove out demons. I did miraculous things in your name. Come on, that gets me in, right? Guys, as you've been reading the Sermon on the Mount, this, this series this week, do you remember the chapter and verses where Jesus tells us, this is how his followers are supposed to live, do you remember the chapter and verses where he says that we're to prophesy and exercise demons and do miraculous things in his name? Don't, don't say yes, don't, because it's not in there, right? It's not in there. But I sure do remember a lot of things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are the meek, and blessed are the merciful. And, and things about us being people who pray to our Father in heaven. And being people who are generous. And loving our enemies. And not living hypocritically. Like, I remember those things all over the place in there. Those boring, non-supernatural things. Those are the things that Jesus calls us to do. And then Jesus says the most telling thing of all to these people who did miraculous things in Jesus' name and who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what he says to them. I never knew you. I never knew you. And then he calls them evildoers. Guys, does it frighten anyone else in here that we can do miraculous things in the name of Jesus and not be known by him nor know him. Does that frighten anybody else in here? That is a frightening thing to me. See guys, this is where so many people get Christianity wrong. Jesus isn't describing in the Sermon on the Mount how people become his followers. Live this way. That's not what he's doing. Don't read it that way. That's not what he's doing. Jesus is describing in the Sermon on the Mount how people who are already his followers live. People who are already his followers live this way. Those are two very, very different things. We don't receive grace and peace and forgiveness and hope and new life on earth and everlasting life one day by living this way, doing these things. That's not, that's not how we receive it. That would be a rotten deal for us, right? It'd be rotten for us because we can't do it. We can't live that way, not consistently anyway, especially with our hearts. We might get the actions right, but Jesus makes it clear over and over over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount that he doesn't just care about our actions. Our actions are important, but he cares about our heart. And many times our hearts fail us. 
But guys, the good news, the gospel, is that we receive grace and peace and forgiveness and hope and new life here on earth and the promise of life to come, eternal life with God, by knowing Jesus. By by knowing Jesus. And when we know Jesus, it changes everything. It changes every single part of us. A theologian named R.T. France, he's talking about this, like what it, what it means in this context to know. He says Jesus doesn't know them. He didn't know them. What does that mean? Well, it says to know is commonly used in biblical literature for much more than acquaintance or recognition. It denotes relationship. To know involves relationship. So as he knows me, I know him. We're in relationship with each other. Relationship entails knowing each other. Guys, this is so different than just knowing about someone or knowing about something. Let me give you, let me give you an example. Let me give you two examples. Say I know a whole lot about anatomy and physiology. Like I know all kind like I know all of the intricacies about how the human body works. I know it like the back of my hand. What's this is the back of my hand? Like the back of my hand, right? Like I know how blood flows. I know how muscles function. I know how, how joints move. I know how nerves fire. That doesn't mean I know you though, does it? Like, even though you got a body that does all of those things, and I know about how it works, that doesn't mean I know you, right? Because you are much more than just a body who works. You're much more than just blood flowing and joints moving and muscles functioning, right? Let me, let me take it a step further. Let me tell you about my wife. Marsha loves it when I talk about her from the pulpit, right? Yeah. Let me tell you about my wife. There's a lot of things that I could learn about my wife, Marsha, right? There's a lot of things I could learn about her. Her dad's name's Mike. Her mom's name's Teresa. We call her Mother Teresa. She's kind of a saint, right? Her, her, she has two siblings. She's got a sister named Maureen. She's got a brother named Matt. She went to Ohio State. She has a degree in occupational therapy. She, she likes to exercise. She likes to read. She likes to eat ice cream out of the container with a fork, right? Like, there's all kinds of stuff that I could know about Marsha. But that doesn't mean I know her, right? Like, that's, that's not a relationship with her. It's certainly not a marriage because she's a person with a personality and feelings and desires and dreams and tastes and preferences and things that she loves and things that she hates. And I have to talk to her, I have to talk to her, and I have to listen to her to know those things, to know her, right? And be known by her. And listen, to know is different than to know about. It's the same thing with God. For some reason, like we we do this with God, like we're content to know about God and know a lot of things about him. And we read our Bible and we go, man, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in here. He's just, he's holy, he's good. He's righteous. He seems angry sometimes. He's the judge, right? And we know all of these things about him. But we never know him. We never know, we never, we never know, we never have a relationship with him. Guys, we can't be that way. We can't be content with that. God, listen, God is not some far out impersonal force who rules the world by some, you know, haphazard form of karma. He has a personality. And he offers us relationship with him. Just let that hit you for a second. 
like feel the weight of that. God, this incredible, perfect, holy, righteous, just, merciful, gracious God of the universe wants to have a relationship with you and me. Like, think about that. He wants you and I to know him deeply as a person, to know his personality deeply and intimately as he knows us fully and completely. I was reading this week, as I was preparing, I was reading this week about a guy named John Wesley. You guys ever heard of John Wesley? John Wesley was the 18th century evangelist. Actually, he was an itinerant evangelist, which means like he traveled all over the place. So he had like all kinds of parishes back then, all kinds of congregations, and he would travel all the time by horseback, which is terribly uncomfortable, right? By horseback to all of these people. He's also the founder of the Methodist Church. Methodism is, it comes from John Wesley. But I was reading about how John Wesley shared the gospel with people. It was fascinating to me. It's fascinating. Because he always starts out the same way. He always starts out talking about the love of God. Like God loves us. Right where we're at. Totally and completely. Just for who he's made us to be. Right? We are his creation. He loves us completely and totally. That's how he'd start out. And then very quickly, he'd start talking about sin. He talked about the depth of our sin and how ugly our sin is and how often we choose sin in our lives, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And that sin is nothing less than our total rejection and rebellion against God. That's what sin is. It doesn't usually feel that way, does it? Like when I'm, when I'm sinning, I'm not usually thinking, I am rebelling against God, God. Like it, it, it doesn't feel that way. Usually when I'm sinning, I'm focused on myself. I'm thinking about me. But to the perfect, holy, righteous God of the universe who made us with a purpose, it's like a slap to his face. And it makes us before him unholy and unrighteous and dirty, right? Guys, we cannot possibly know how good and kind and merciful God is in offering us a relationship with himself through Jesus Christ until we understand how utterly sinful and undeserving we are. Think about your sin. This is uncomfortable. I get it. But we cannot understand how much God loves us and what an amazing thing it is until we understand the depth of our depravity. Don't just think about your actions. Don't just think about the things that you do. Think about your heart. How often do you harbor sin in your heart? Rebellion, selfishness, pride. You know what all those things make us? They make us deserving of hell. That's, that's what it makes us. Deserving of separation from a perfect, holy, righteous God. That's what we deserve for our rebellion against this incredible, loving God of the universe. We bring nothing of worth to him that's deserving of anything good except ourselves. Not our actions, right? Not our accomplishments, not our good works, but you, God loves you so much right where you're at right now. Before you get your life all cleaned up, right? He loves us right where we're at right now. Totally and completely. So much so that he sent his son to take away all of our gunk 
to die on the cross to take away all of our rebellion, rebelliousness, our unholiness, our unrighteousness, wiped away by Jesus, God made flesh, dying on the cross, taking, his, taking our punishment upon himself for you and me. That's how much he loves us. Let your mind go to the rottenness of the choices that you've made, to the heart of your rebellion. God loves you so much he sent Jesus to take all that for you. The Bible calls it a free gift, and it is. You can't earn it, you know? You can't buy it, you can't win it. You can accept it. That's all we can do. We can accept the gift. You know how we accept it? By knowing Jesus. <laughs> it's so easy. It doesn't make us jump through all of these hoops. But by knowing Jesus, by having a special relationship with him, he's the linchpin. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life? Like, do you feel the weight of your sin? And you want to be forgiven for that? Here's the answer. Here's how it happens. Cling to Jesus. He's our rescuer. Right? Like the weight of our sin that's pulling us down. He reaches out to pull us up. He's our rescuer if we would cling to him. And then he promises to change us. As he rescues us, he promises to change us and make us different. Here's the second question. Do you want to grow as a Christian? Do you want to change in your life? You know what the answer is? If that's what you want, you know what the answer is? Cling to Jesus. It's the same answer. We make it so complicated, right? Well, I got to work, I got to do this. I got I to watch my mouth and I got I to pray three times a day and I got to read six chapters. In the, listen, cling to Jesus. Know him. Pursue him. Dive into that relationship and I can promise you he will change you and he will change me. That's what he does. Our job is to grab hold of the rescuer and feed off of him. Spend time with him. Learn from him. He's the key. He will absolutely change us in the best possible way if we cling to him, if we talk to him. What does it look like? What does it look like to cling to him? Talk to him. Listen to him. Read his word. Maybe take a risk and step out and tell other people about him. Serve people in his name. He'll change us. I promise you, you will love the result in your life. That's the key. Guys, I, I got I to gotta wrap up. I, I know I'm over on my time here. I have, I have four things I want to tell you. So this is the last sermon in this series, right? So there's four things that as we wrap up the Sermon on the Mount, we're done with it. We're never going back to it. No, I'm just kidding. But as we wrap up this series on the Sermon on the Mount, I have four things that I want you to think through, okay? First one is this. Sermon on the Mount is dangerous if my focus is on doing things and not knowing Jesus. It is dangerous, guys. If you read it and you go, okay, here's my list. Now I got to do all of this stuff. It's, if you look at it as some sort of instruction manual on how to be accepted or acceptable to God, you missed it. You completely missed it. It's the life that we live as we cling to Jesus. And we make choices, and we're responsible for those choices. But he is changing us from the inside through his grace being fleshed out in our life. That's the first one. So around the mouth, it's dangerous if my focus is on doing things and not on following, knowing Jesus. Second thing, the follower of Jesus knows his need and knows his Savior. 
He knows his needs. We understand how utterly sinful we are. I realize that I bring nothing of deserving to God except myself, right? I I completely fall on his mercy to reach down and to rescue me. I know my need, right? And I know my Savior. I'm getting to know, I'm excitedly getting to know him better and better and better with each day that he gives me. Deeper and deeper, I cling to him. I talk to him. I listen to him. I read about him. I step out and I serve him. I tell other people about him. I know my need and I know my Savior. That's the second thing. Third thing, the Father's will for us. We've talked about that. The Father's will for us is that we live like Jesus because we know and love Jesus. Guys, how we live matters. It just, like, we can't get away from that. It matters. It matters to God, and it makes an incredible impact on the world. Listen, there is no such thing as accepting Jesus and then going back to life as normal. You know why? Because Jesus changes normal. That's what he does. When we cling to him, he changes what's normal. He changes us as we cling and as we give his spirit free reign in our lives. The Father's will for me is not just about following the Sermon on the Mount. Live this way. It's about live this way because you know and you love Jesus. Right? That's the third thing. Last thing. Fourth thing. And we're done. I don't have to fear... We talked about rejection at the beginning, right? I don't have to fear God's rejection. God only rejects us when we reject Him. Let me say that again. I don't have to fear God's rejection. God only rejects us when we reject Him. I don't need to fear it. Like one day He's going to pull the rug out from under me. Man, I tried really hard. I thought I had it right, Jesus. No, you didn't. It's not how it happens, guys. It's not how it works. God loves me, and I have no need to fear him when I know him and love him and follow him, when I cling to him. It says, the Bible says his perfect love pushes out fear, right? It gets rid of all fear. But for anybody who continuously rejects him and doesn't know and love and follow him, and over and over, they're pushing him away and they're going in some other direction, eventually, God respects their decision. Eventually, God allows that. He says, if you reject me, then one day I will say to you, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. And guys, I am grateful that God gives us so many chances. I think about my own life. How many times before I chose to follow him, I rejected him over and over and over again. Now I want to do it my way. I'm having a lot of fun doing this. I'm going to do it the way that I want to. No, God, not yet. Maybe one day. Eventually he respects our decision. Guys, I pray that that's not the case with any of us. And none of us ever hear Jesus say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. I beg you tonight, I don't know where you're at, I don't know what your understanding of Jesus is, I beg you to cling to him. If you have questions, talk to me, talk to other people, find answers to your questions, but don't ignore him, because that's just one direction that you could go that's not following him, and they're all in the same way. I want to end just with the last thing that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. I said it once, but I think it's appropriate to end this way. 
He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. What foundation are you building your life on?